And let's turn around and fellowship one with another. Let our visitors know how thrilled we are to have them in the service. Continue shaking hands. Get your songbook, page 238, because he lives 238.
Thank you. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering this morning. And as they do so, let me say it's a joy to have those that are visiting with us today. And I look around and see several new faces. And we are certainly thrilled about you being with us this morning. And we'd like to get you to know us a little bit better. I'd like for you to get to know us a little bit better. And we'd like to get to know you a little bit better. And if you would just take a moment to fill out a visitor's card. If you came in this morning, they either gave you a bulletin or a little welcome brochure. If not, there are some visitor's cards located in the back of the pews. If you'll take just a moment and fill one of these out and then just take that little card and drop it in the offering plate, we would appreciate it so much. So, again, we are thrilled about you that are visiting, and I hope to get to meet many of you before you leave today, but we're thankful you're here. Let me encourage you to give and be faithful in your giving, and let me just make mention, uh, tomorrow night, the fellas, of course, the uh, quartet here, I guess we call them a quartet, they're really, uh, what would you call five people in a group? Quintet, Methuselah and the New Generation, and they are, but they're singing tomorrow night at Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Ringo, that's at 7 o'clock in their tent revival, so if you're free tomorrow night, you might want to go down to that, I know you'd enjoy it, we're proud of Joe and the boys and the fellas, what they're doing and what a blessing they've been to us. Let's pray now, and you give, and the Lord bless you for your giving. Father, thank you for the joy to be able to worship you through our giving. You are alive, and I pray today that in this service you'll manifest your presence. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
still and lifeless he lay upon his bed. He had not moved since he was just a baby. Still he longed to become a normal man. Now we don't know much about the men that carried the corners of his tattered bed that day. But if we may create an illustration, we'll see what these men might have had to say. Suppose that first man said I doubted for Jesus touched my eyes when I was blind and he made me see and there's no doubt about it but this man's needs are more serious than mine so full that second man said no need to bother this man's condition will remain the same though Jesus touched my head when it was withered I don't believe he can heal a man so lame suppose that second man said I hate to question but no one here is more skeptical than me though Jesus touched me when I was a leper this helpless man will never walk you see then every eye was turned to the fourth man to see how he might criticize and doubt but all three men were startled with amazement for that fourth
visited North Carolina this week where I was born and raised and where I got saved, where I was born again. Now, you might, I don't want you to misinterpret this song if you've never heard it. It's not talking about salvation. It's talking about the Lordship of Christ in your life. And if you're here today and you know Him as Savior, but you've never made Him Lord of your life, you've missed the ultimate in the Christian life. He wants to be Lord of all in your life, and that's what this song is about. When I was just a child, I heard the beautiful story of
Aren't you glad that you can say that it is well with my soul? I tell you, it's what a joy to be able to lay down at night knowing everything's all right with God, to go through the day and not carry a load of guilt or shame or just the burden of sin. What a joy it is just to be able to know in your heart it is right with the Lord, it is well with my soul. What a blessing. Well, I want you to open your Bible, the book of Habakkuk. The book of Habakkuk this morning we find in chapter 3. Let me ask you something. Do you ever worry about anything? Are you, any of you, are, any of you worry about things? Some of you, you worry when there's nothing to worry about. You, you know how that goes. But I'm sure that all of us this morning, they, we've experienced something that caused us to be apprehensive or something that made us worry. I think about a letter that a young camper sent to his parents. Now, imagine you are a parent, and you get this letter from your child at summer camp. Someone gave this to me. I love this. But uh, it says, Dear Mom and Dad, we're having a great time here at Lake Typhoid. Well, that would worry me right up front. But we're having a great time here at Lake Typhoid. Scoutmaster Webb is making us all right to our parents in case you saw the flood on TV and was worried. We're okay. Only one of our tents and two sleeping bags got washed away. Luckily, none of us got drowned because we were all up on the mountain looking for Chad when it happened. Oh, yes, please call Chad's mother and tell her he is okay. He can't write because of the cast. I got to ride in one of the search and rescue jeeps. It was neat. We would have never found him in the dark if it hadn't been for the lightning. Scoutmaster Webb got mad at Chad for going on a hike alone without telling anyone. Chad said he did tell him, but it was during the fire, so he probably didn't hear him. Did you know that if you put gas on a fire, the gas can blow up? The wet wood still didn't burn, but one of our tents did, also some of our clothes. John is going to look weird until his hair grows back. <laughs> we'll be home next Saturday if Scoutmaster Webb gets his car fixed. It wasn't his fault about the wreck. The brakes worked okay when we left. Scoutmaster Webb said that a car that old, you have to expect something to break down. That's probably why he can't get insurance on it. We think it's a neat car. He doesn't care if we get it dirty and if it's hot. And if it's hot, sometimes he lets us ride on the tailgate. It gets pretty hot with 10 people in the car. And he lets us take turns, he let us take turns riding in the trailer until the highway patrolman stopped us and talked to us. Scoutmaster Webb is a neat guy. Don't worry, he's a good driver. In fact, he's teaching Terry how to drive. But he only lets him drive on mountain roads where there isn't any traffic. All we ever see up there is logging trucks. This morning, all the guys were diving off the rocks and swimming in the lake. And Scoutmaster Webb wouldn't let me because I can't swim. And Chad was afraid he'd sink because of his cast. So he let us take the canoe across the lake. It was great. You can still see some of the trees under the water from the flood. Scoutmaster Webb isn't crabby like some Scoutmasters. He didn't even get mad about the life jackets. He has to spend a lot of time working on his car, so we're trying not to cause him any trouble. Guess what? We've all passed our first aid merit badges. When Dave dove into the lake and cut his arm, we got to see how a tourniquet works. Also, Wade and I threw up. Scoutmaster Webb said it was probably food poison from the leftover chicken. Well, anyway, I have to go now. We're going into town to mail our letters and buy bullets. Don't worry about anything. We're fine. Love, cold. 
Then P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? Well, <laughs> to worry in some situations is easier said than done. Well, I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word. And I want to look this morning at a prophet that was worried about some things. And I want us to think this morning on how to have a spinning heart rather than a spinning head. How to have a spinning heart rather than a spinning head. I want you to look in the book of Habakkuk, and I want you to notice in chapter 3, and I want to read to you three verses, verse 17, verse 18, and verse 19. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. The scripture said, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of of my salvation. I want to read that to you again. Verse 18. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he'll make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on my string instruments. Thank you. you. may be seated this morning. I want us to think, as I said, about how to have a spinning heart rather than a spinning head. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning in Jesus' name, as we gather here, you have reminded us this morning of your faithfulness, and you have reminded us, Lord, that we need not worry but to trust in you and to lean upon you. Father, as we look at this particular passage of Scripture this morning, we are reminded of the same wonderful truth. And we are reminded, Lord, that we can say in the darkest hour that it is well with our soul. So, Spirit of God, we thank you for just the reading of the Word of God. But we also want to thank you in advance for the meaning of the Word and what we will learn today from the precious Word. So, Spirit of God, I submit myself to you. I yield myself to you, praying for a fresh anointing now that I might share the Word of God and for a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit that it might work in the hearts of others. So I look to you now and I pray today that you would help us to move from spinning heads to a spinning heart. Help us to see the truth of God, for it is in the name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Now, the book of Habakkuk is one of those little books that's sandwiched in the Old Testament there, one of those what we call minor prophets. And a lot of times what we do is we kind of pass over those books. But I would say to you this morning that you miss some wonderful truths of God by skipping over what may be, appear to be minor books in the Bible. I would say that we call them minor not because they are minor, but we call them minor because of their size. They are the major prophets and the minor prophets. But the book of Habakkuk itself is a wonderful, wonderful book, and there are many wonderful lessons to glean from it. For example, you take the prophet himself. There's not a whole lot that we know about the prophet Habakkuk. We do know that he ministered somewhere around 600 B.C. 
And that's about the extent of it. We don't know much about his background. We don't know much about his ministry. All we know is that this is a book that the Spirit of God used him to write. We do know that his name means to embrace or to wrestle. And I would say to you this morning that it was a very fitting name for this prophet. For this is a prophet, as we shall see this morning, was wrestling with certain things in his life. Or I may put it this way, he was a man that was worried about certain things that were going on. And because of the things that were going on, he was a man that was worried about certain matters, and he was a man that was struggling about certain things. There were certain things that he was wrestling with in his heart. Some of the practical experiences of life were not, were not matching up with the doctrines of his religion and faith. There were certain things that he believed about God, and there were certain ways that he thought about God, but they were being contradicted by what God was doing and by how God was reacting to certain situations. So what he believed was not matching up with what God was doing. So this was a man that found himself struggling in his heart. You might say that the book of Habakkuk is a book of one man's reflections. It is the story of a man's communing and the questioning of his soul. It is a man that is perplexed. It is a man that is struggling. One writer by the name of James Hastings said that his chief revelation is the revelation of himself. When you read the book of Habakkuk, I guess the one thing that is revealed throughout the whole book is the honesty of a man and a man that is struggling in his heart with the things of God and with the ways of God. It is very possible that as we gather here this morning that there are some of you that are struggling in your heart with some things. And it may be today that what you think about God is not matching up with what God is doing. And it may be how you have felt about God, your theology, what you believe about God, the doctrines you have developed in your heart and mind. They're being contradicted by what God is doing or maybe what God is not doing. I love Warren Wiersbe. He's been here before. And I love his little book on the back, and he has this to say about the book. He divides it into the three chapters. He said in chapter 1, you have a man that is worrying and wondering. In chapter 1, you find the prophet worried about certain matters. You find the prophet wondering about certain matters. In chapter 2, you have a man that is watching and waiting. In chapter 1, he is worried and he is wondering. In chapter 2, he is watching and he is waiting. And then when you come to chapter 3, he is worshiping and he is witnessing. Now, the question that I want to answer this morning or try to answer is this. How did he go from worry to worship? In chapter 1, he is a worried man, but in chapter 3, he is a worshiping man. Now, what is it that took him from worry in chapter 1 to worship in chapter 3? Well, I want you to follow with me today, and there are three things I want to set forth, and I want to just draw a couple of thoughts out of each chapter. I want to look at chapter 1. I want to look at chapter 2, and then I want us to look at chapter 3, and I want us to see how this prophet went from being worried in chapter 1 to worshiping in chapter 3. Look first of all in chapter 1, and let me just simply call chapter 1 a troubled prophet. When you look in the back of chapter 1, you find a troubled prophet. Now, if you want to understand a little bit about the book of Habakkuk, and you won't understand about what is going on. Notice chapter 1, verse 1, and immediately you are told what this chapter or this book is all about. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, we read the burden. 
which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Underscore the word burden there. At the very beginning, we are told that the book of Habakkuk is a burden. At the very beginning, we are introduced to a prophet that has a burden on his heart. Now, what is this burden? What kind of burden is it that Habakkuk is uh, carrying in the chapter 1? What kind of burden is you find in the book of Habakkuk? Well, let me just point out two things about his burden. For one thing, I find that it was a national burden. When you talk about the burden of Habakkuk in chapter 1, you find that it was a national burden. Let me show you something different about the book of Habakkuk from the other prophets. When you read the other prophets in the Old Testament, you'll find that most of the Old Testament prophets, they spoke to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. You find the Old Testament prophets, most of them coming to Israel and telling them what God had to say. They spoke to Israel on the behalf of God. But when you read the book of Habakkuk, you find this prophet speaking to God on behalf of the nation, on behalf of Israel. He is not talking to the people, he's talking to God. He is not proclaiming a message to the nation. Here is a man with a burden on his heart and is a man that is coming to God because of that burden. Now, his burden was, among many things, a national burden. You see, this was a very dark and a very desperate hour. You see, the prophet Habakkuk had witnessed the downfall of religion. Here was the children of God, the children of Israel, the people of God, and he had watched them depart from God. He had watched them leave God. He had saw the downfall of religion in his nation, and in so doing, he had saw the return of idolatry. They had not only left the true and the living God, but they were worshiping false gods. They had once been the worshipers of the living God, but now they are worshiping dead gods. He had saw them leave God. He'd witnessed the downfall of religion. He had saw the turn of idolatry. And the result was he had watched his immorality and sensuality ate away at the very fabric of Israel's social life. He had saw the spiritual decline of his people, and that spiritual decline led to a moral decline of his people. And that is always the case. But not only that, as far as his national burden is concerned, it was an hour in which leadership was very corrupt. You'll find as you study history that the king that ruled at this time was a king by the name of Jehoiakim. And you are, if you are familiar with Jehoiakim, then you know that it was a very wicked king. He is the king that Jeremiah talks about that when the word of God was brought to him, the word of God in a scroll, and when that scroll was unrolled and the word was read to him, the Bible said that Jehoiakim took a knife and he cut up the scroll and he threw it into the fire. He was a wicked king. He was a king that was defiant of God. He was a king that was defiant of the word of God. Leadership was corrupt. People were corrupt. But that was not all that worried and bothered Habakkuk. You read down in verse 6, it talks about, it makes mention of the Chaldeans, a bitter and a very hasty nation. The Chaldeans were invading the land. In fact, they had already invaded the northern part of Judah. And the matter of invasion and overthrow was very, very imminent. Habakkuk the prophet knew that any day they were going to be overthrown and they were going to be overcome. So this is a man that is burdened about his people. 
This is a man that is burdened about his nation. He looks at the condition of his nation. He looks at the things that, are, that could happen almost any day. Here's a nation that God had blessed, but a nation about to be overthrown and overcome and overturned by an evil, wicked, Chaldean nation. This is a man with a burden. He's a worried man. It's a national burden. But second of all, I want to point out about his burden is that it was a personal burden. And this is where it gets home to most of us. But you see, this is not only a man that is worried about his nation, but this is a man that is wrestling with some things about his God. This is a man that is struggling with certain things about God. There were the problems without, but there was the perplexity within. This is a man, as Isaiah, that was struggling. This is his burden. There's a heavy burden on his heart. And he's struggling with certain things about God. In fact, in chapter 1, he even goes as far as to make three accusations against God. He accuses God of three things in chapter 1. Let me point out these accusations. You notice beginning in verse 2. But the, fir the first thing that he accuses God of is being indifferent. Notice what he said in Habakkuk chapter 1 and notice verse 2. He said, O Lord, how long shall I cry unto thee, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee out of violence, and thou wilt not save. Now verse 2, he's praying. And you find that he prays fervently. For you find there he said, Lord, how long shall I cry unto thee? And also, he said, even cry unto thee out of violence. We looked at Wednesday night. We looked at this word cry in another verse of Scripture. But the word cry that, is that he uses here literally means to scream. This is a man coming to God with a burden. And this is a man that is coming to God and he prays fervently. In fact, he's even to the point, he's so fervent in his prayer that he's screaming out to God. He prays fervently, but he also prays persistently, for he noticed what he said, O Lord, how long shall I cry unto thee, and thou wilt not hear? This is a man that's been coming to God. This is a man that's been talking to God. This is a man that's been praying in the past. He's praying in the present. Not, you don't even care. God, I come to you, and you don't listen. God, I bring my knees to you, and you don't do anything. The prophet Habakkuk here, he feels that God is indifferent to his prayers. That God doesn't care about the conditions that's around him. He doesn't care about the burden on the prophet's heart. Now, it's very possible that some of you in this room today have felt that way about God. Have you ever felt that God didn't care? Have you ever felt that God was indifferent to your situation? Have you ever felt like that God didn't care about what you were going through and what you were facing in life? You had your needs, you had your problems, you had your burdens, but it seemed like God didn't hear when you prayed about them and he didn't seem to even care about the situation you were going through. We've maybe have all felt that way one time or another. He accuses God of being indifferent. But look at the second accusation that he makes against God. In verse 3 and 4, he not only accuses God of being indifferent, but he accuses God of being inactive. Notice verse 3, he says, why? Have you ever asked God why? But he said, why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. 
For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. He said in verse 4, the first part there, he said, judgment never doth go forth. He not only feels that God doesn't care, he's kept coming to God and he says, Lord, you won't even hear, you don't even listen to me. God, you don't seem to even care about the way things are. And furthermore, God, you're not doing anything about the situation. He's come to God. He's even cried unto him out of violence in verse 2. God, look at the situation. This is desperate. God, we're not talking about my wants and wishes. We're talking about something that is needful. God, we need you. It is violence. But he said, you don't even do anything about it. Here is your people in sin. Here is your people about to be overrun. And God, judgment doth never go forth. God, you don't care, and you're not even doing anything about it. Maybe you felt the same way. Maybe you felt like God wasn't doing anything in your life. Maybe you felt like God wasn't doing anything in your situation. Maybe you felt like God didn't care, and furthermore, he wasn't even going to do anything about it. You pray about something and God doesn't hear, seemingly, and you pray about something that doesn't seem like God's going to do anything. You bring your needs to God. The preacher tells you you trust God with your needs, and you do so, and God don't meet those needs. You sometimes get to thinking God's not doing anything, and you feel like God is inactive. But here's a third accusation he makes against God. Not only does he make the accusation that God was indifferent in verse 2 and the accusation that God was inactive in verse 3 and 4, but in verse 12 and 13, I want you to notice the two verses in the chapter, he even makes the accusation that God is inconsistent or that he was inconsistent. Notice what he said in verse 12. He said, Art not or are thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? He said, We should not die. Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment and almighty God thou hast established them for correction he said thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity wherefore God if you're this kind of God then why lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he here is Habakkuk now and here is the wicked evil Chaldeans and Habakkuk realizes that they have been ordained of God that the Chaldeans are about to overcome and overthrow the land of Judah, the children of God, and Habakkuk realizes that God is using them to punish Israel. Now that bothers him. He says, God, the Chaldeans, he said, I know we're wicked. And God, I know we've left you. And God, we've abandoned you and we put our idols up and we worship God's of stone and wood and the stars and the skies. God, I know we're wicked people, but nothing compared to the Chaldeans. God, they're the wicked of them all. They are evil. Lord, they're far more wicked than we are. But yet, you're using them to deal with us. He said, now, God, that don't make sense. God, you are such a holy God, you can't even look on iniquity. God, you can't even tolerate iniquity, much less look on iniquity. But yet, you're using a wicked people. God, it doesn't seem to add up. He was acting like he's accusing God that God was being inconsistent. Have you felt that way? Sometimes we feel that God is indifferent. We feel like that he doesn't care. Sometimes we feel like he's inactive, that he's not doing anything. And sometimes we feel like he's inconsistent. We see him do this for this person over here, but he doesn't do anything for me. This person over here prays and God works in their life. I pray and he don't do anything in my life. 
And as far as I know, I'm living as good as they are, and I'm going to church like they are, and I'm serving you like they are, but God, you did this for them, but you don't do anything for me. We get the feeling like maybe God has favorites in his family and that he's inconsistent and sometimes even consistent with what he said. He declares himself to be this God and we come believing him to be that God and he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't even respond. This is a troubled prophet. That's what chapter 1 is all about. He is burdened. And he comes to God. He said, Lord, I'm worried about my nation and furthermore, God, I've got to be honest with you, I'm wondering about you. God, I don't know what you're up to. I don't know why you're being the way that you are. I pray you don't hear. You don't seem to care. Lord, you don't do anything. And furthermore, I don't understand why you're doing it the way you're doing it. Now, we've all struggled in our hearts at one time or another. And it's very possible that even in this room today, somebody's struggling with something about God. And you're trying to find an answer here and trying to find an answer there. And you're just perplexed about what is going on in your life. A troubled prophet. But look in chapter 2. Are you still with me now? And you follow me this morning? Man. Chapter 1, he is a troubled prophet. But in chapter 2, I want to say that he is a trusting prophet. When you come to chapter 2, you see the steps that Habakkuk took when the foundations of his faith were being shaken. In chapter 1, he is wrestling as his name implies. Chapter 1, he is worried. Chapter 1, he is wondering. Chapter 1, he is struggling. Chapter 1, he is afraid. But in chapter 2, he takes certain steps to deal with what is going on in his life. Now, when we are struggling with certain matters and when we are going through certain things in our life, what should we do? I want you, I want you to see what Habakkuk did. I want you to notice, first of all, that he listened to God. I want you to notice that Rebekah, the first step that he took was that he listened to what God had to say. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. He said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower. Now, don't miss this next statement. And will watch to see what he will say unto me. You know what Rebekah did? In this dark hour in his life, when this hour in his life, when he's filled with doubt, in this hour in his life when he's filled with despair, in this hour in his life when he is discouraged, when he is distressed, the first thing that he did was he got along with God and he let God talk to him. Now listen to me this morning. Are we not guilty of asking God why all the time? But I have found that what we do is we come to God and say, God, why are you not doing this? God, why did you let this happen in my life? God, why are you not doing work in this way? Why are you not answering my prayer? Why are you not meeting my needs? And we're constantly bombarding God with our whys. But am I not honest that many times we don't even stop and give God a chance to give us an answer to our whys? Am I, not true, uh, am I not right when I say this morning that we're constantly accusing God of this and saying, God, you don't care about me. God, you're not meeting my needs. God, you're not working in my life. And we make these accusations against God. And what happens is we fail to stop and even let God respond. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning. When we are going through those times when we don't know what to do, and when we're going through those times when we don't know what's going on, 
and we don't understand and we're wrestling and struggling in our heart, I'm going to tell you the first thing you ought to do, and that's to stop and sit down and get along with God and get in this book and let God talk to you. Now, we're always talking to God. We're always telling God what we want. We're always telling God what we think. But what we need in our life is to stop and let God tell us what he wants and let God tell us what he thinks about a matter. Get along with God. You got your Bible in your hand this morning? Would you hold your Bible up? I want you to understand something. Right here is the Word of God. I don't care whether you paid $9.95 or paid $100 for your copy. It doesn't matter who published it. This is the Word of God. Every word in this Bible is true. There is not a contradiction in this book. There is not an error in this book. There is not a flaw in this book. There is not a mistake in this book. I do not care what anybody, Dr. So-and-so and Dr. Stopper may have to say about it. This is the Word of God. And furthermore, this is how God talks to us. This is how God speaks to our hearts. You know what we do? We go through our problems and we go through our struggles and we have all of our wrestlings in our soul and the last thing we fail to do is just sit down and get along with God and let Him talk to us out of His Word. I'm going to tell you, if you've got a struggle in your heart and you've got a burden in your life, what you ought to do is get along and just get in this book and let God talk to you. That's the difference about this book than any other book. Now, I like, I like to read. I read all kinds of things. I'll read history. I'll read biographies. I'll read mysteries. I love to read mystery stories. I said one time before, nothing better than going home on Sunday night and reading about somebody getting killed. That, I, don't, that, I think that's thrilling. A mystery. I, I love it. But I'm going to tell you one thing different about this book and other books. When you get in this book, it talks to you. It is God's Word. It speaks to us. And you get in the Word. Here's what Habakkuk did. He got alone and he let God talk to him. He's asked God all kinds of things in chapter 1. He's accused God of all kinds of things in chapter 2. But in chapter 1, but now in chapter 2, he's listening to God. I remember reading a story one time about a minister who went into a backwood settlement to, build, to hold a meeting. And it was necessary that he return home late in the night. So this woodsman provided him with a torch made of pitch pine wood. Well, the preacher never seen anything like it. And when he handed it to him, he said, well, this, this will soon burn out. And, about, and the woodsman said to him, it will light your way home. And the preacher said to him, well, won't the wind blow it out? And the, fellow, and the woodsman said to him, it will light your way home. And the preacher said, well, what if it begins to rain? And the woodsman said, it will light your way home. I want you to listen to me this morning. Right here's the Word of God. It will light your way home. In times of doubt, it'll light your way home. In times of distress, it will light your way home. In times of discouragement, it will light your way home. In times of fear and the lack of faith, it will light your way home. Get in the Word and let God talk to you through the Word of God. In those hours that you are struggling, listen to God. It's not a matter of what I think, it's what God says. Listen to God. That's the first thing that he did. But the second thing I see him doing in chapter 2 is not only listening to God, but he leans on God. Look down in verse 4. He said, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but here, get this, but the just shall Live by his faith. 
Will you say that latter part with me? Will you say it with me? Because this is so critical. But the just shall live by his faith. Say it again. But the just shall live by his faith. You know what God was saying to Habakkuk? He was saying to Habakkuk, I know that you feel that I am indifferent. And Habakkuk, I know you feel that I am inactive. And Habakkuk, I know that you feel that I am inconsistent. But Habakkuk, what I want you to do is simply trust me. Habakkuk, I want you to lean on me. Habakkuk, I want you to live by faith. James Hastings said about this kind of faith, that such faith is at times when we're obliged to cast ourselves wholly on God. Now listen to me this morning. Listen to me very, very carefully. There are going to be times in your Christian life when you're not going to understand what God is doing. And there are going to be times in your Christian life when you're not going to see God, and there are going to be times when you will not feel God, and there are going to be times that you'll feel like God doesn't care, and there will be times you'll feel like that He's not doing anything, and you'll feel like that He's leaving you totally out of the picture. But I want you to listen to me. It is during those times when you don't see, feel, or understand that you are obliged to cast yourself wholly upon God to trust God, to lean on God. During those times when we don't know what to do, we trust Him. Look down in verse 20. Listen, I love this. Verse 20, I want you to notice what He said. In Habakkuk 2, verse 20, look at this. But the Lord is in His holy temple that all the earth keeps silence before Him. Habakkuk, I know you feel that I'm indifferent, but I want to remind you I'm on the throne. Habakkuk, I know you feel that I'm not doing anything, but I want to remind you I'm on the throne. Habakkuk, I know you feel that I'm inconsistent, but I want to remind you I'm on the throne. Don't come to me with accusations. You just be quiet and just put everything in my hands and just trust in me and leave it all with me. That's what he's saying to him. And there are times when you have nothing to do but just to come to God and trust Him. You don't know what's going on in life. You don't know how to face life. You don't know what tomorrow holds. But all that you can do is just come to God. We're to live by faith. Are you listening to me? We're to live by faith. In fact, that phrase there, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, is found four times in the Bible. Here, it said, but the just shall live by his faith. Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, but the just shall live by faith. You get the idea that God is telling us that sometimes we have to do nothing but just trust him and to put it in the hands of God. Faith. I remind you this morning, faith is not a solution to remove your problems. Faith is not a solution to remove your problems. Faith is a solution to face your problems. Faith is not a solution to remove your problems. Faith is a solution to face your problems. And when you don't know what God is doing and you don't understand what's going on, then you just trust Him. God's on the throne. How many of you believe He's on the throne? He is in His holy temple. Put it in His hands. Trust Him. Now look at the chapter 3. In chapter 1, He is a troubled prophet. In chapter 2, He has become a trusting prophet. But in chapter 3, He's what I would call a triumphant prophet. His attitude in chapter 3 is altogether different than what it was in chapter 1. 
In chapter 1, he is worried. But in chapter 3, he is worshiping. In chapter 1, he is perplexed. In chapter 3, he is praising. In chapter 1, he's in the valley. But in chapter 3, he's on the mountain. Notice what he said in verse 18. I said a moment ago, this is one of my favorite verses, and I'll tell you why. He said in verse 18, chapter 3, Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He, there's two I wills there. He said, I will rejoice. And second I will, I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'll underscore those words, rejoice and joy for just a moment. I like this. You see the word rejoice there? You know what it literally means? I used to go to bother some Baptist folks here this morning that here's a prophet of God, but here's what he was doing. The word rejoice means to jump. To jump for joy. <laughs> I know some of you dignified folks, and I'm going to embarrass you this morning. But in chapter 1, he is discouraged and defeated. But in chapter 3, he's jumping. He's excited about something. You see the word joy? He said, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The word joy means to spin. In chapter 1, his head's spinning. He can't get a grip on what God's doing. But in chapter 3, he's jumping up and down, going around and around. Something's happened in his life. His attitude's altogether different in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. Chapter 1, his head is spinning. Chapter 3, his heart is spinning. Chapter 1, he's in desperation. Chapter 3, it's jubilation. What's going on? His worry, for one thing, his worry has turned to shouting. Notice what he said in verse 17. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I jump and spin in the God of my salvation. You know what he said in verse 17? He said, if the fig tree never blossoms, he said, if the fruit tree or the vines never bear fruit, he said, if the olive fails and the fields don't have any crops and the flocks are cut off and there's no herd in the stall, if I never see it again, I'm still going to rejoice and shout. What's going on? He's got his eyes off his problems and he's realized God is in his holy temple. He's on the throne. He's in charge. He now realizes God is not indifferent. He now realizes God is not inactive. He now realizes God is not inconsistent. He's just God. And he's rejoicing. His worry has turned to shouting. And second of all, his weakness has turned to strength. For he said in verse 19, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet. He'll make me to walk up on mine high places. In chapter 1, he'd been to valley. Now, chapter 3, he's got deer's feet jumping on top of the mountaintops. What is it? What has made the difference? 
He knows that God is on the throne. Chapter 3, verse 3, he said God came. Chapter 3, verse 6, he said God stood. Chapter 3, verse 8, he said God did right. He said, God, nope, you are not indifferent. God, nope. You are not inactive. God, no, you are not inconsistent. You are marching, you are standing, and you are coming. That's what he says. Hey, listen to me this morning. There are times when you may not know what God is up to in your life. And there are times that you may not feel God. And there may be times when you may not see God. But I want you to listen to me. I don't care what the circumstances are in your life. I don't care what the problems are in your life. You can still jump and shout and run and dance and glorify God because the Lord is in His holy temple. You know what he did? He got his eyes off his problems and he got his eyes on God. You know why most, most people are discouraged and defeated? You know why most people come to church on Sunday morning and you couldn't get a smile out of them, much less an amen? It's because they're so bound down with life and they're so bogged down with life. All they think about is their problems. All they think about is their sorrows. All they think about is their troubles and trials. I want to tell you something. We'll go through life and there's no way we're going to avoid problems. And there's no way we're going to avoid trials. And there's no way our hearts are not going to be broken. But I want you to understand something. That's just half of the story. There's a divine side of the story. There is a God in heaven. And he never changes. And he always cares. And he's always doing something. And he's always faithful. Therefore, just jump and shout to the glory of his name. And stand to our feet. Some of you this morning, I'll get up out of your seat, just walk down here and say, I'm going to give it to God. The just shall live by faith. The just shall just trust God and put it in the hands of God. Why don't some of you this morning come, get out from under the bondage of the prophet in chapter 1 and get under the blessing of the prophet in chapter 3? No, you may not know what he's doing in your life. And you may not know where God's going in your life, but he's on his throne the Lord is in his holy temple, put it in his hands. Leave it in his hands that he is God and he knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going. And we don't have to worry about God and his work and the activity of God. He's God. The just shall live by his faith. Our Father, this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, you are a faithful God. And Lord, I confess, there have been times I wondered if you really cared. And there have been times, Lord, if I wondered you were even doing anything. And times, Lord, I couldn't reconcile what I believed and what I'd been taught with what you were doing. But dear God, I'm glad to know that I don't have to know or understand, but just realize that you are in your holy temple and everything is all right in the Father's house. And Father, in my darkest hour, I can rejoice. I can rejoice in my in the Lord and I can joy in the God of my salvation no matter what no matter where no matter when I can rejoice and I can joy in the Lord someone this morning Lord is struggling in their heart let them come today give them victory today help them today give them a word that will strengthen them give them something today that will minister their heart help them to do what Habakkuk did just to listen to you and to lean on you.
Lord, to listen to what you will say unto me and to live by faith. So, Father, this morning, speak to hearts. Minister to hearts. And give someone a victory, the victory today in Jesus' name. I look at